Hi, I'm Marilyn Dennis. This is Marilyn Dennis Does a Podcast. This episode, we're chatting with family therapist and my dear friend, Joe Rich. He's going to give us some tips on managing grief during lockdown and share some new strategies on how to tackle some of the anxieties we're feeling about returning to work and life on the other side of this. Please welcome back to the podcast, family therapist, Joe Rich. Hey, Joe. Hi, Marilyn. How are you? Okay. You know, we're well into this, what we thought would be a couple of weeks. I don't know where we are now, but it's <laughs> like time is passing very quickly. You and I did a podcast a at the very start of this, you were my first guest. And compared to, let's say, that podcast that happened almost, uh, maybe I would say 10 weeks ago, where are we now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, that's an interesting question. The, uh, you know, when we did the podcast, uh, everything was very straightforward. Wash your hands, mm. self-isolate, don't go near people, quarantine, you arrive here, stay here, two weeks here. And it was very clear. And at that point in time, you know, I see this as a bit of a journey, right? So we were lost at sea and everybody was just going to do the following things, almost like a survival mission. I think where we are now, which is very different, is that if we were lost at sea, now we're seeing on the horizon where we're going. We're seeing land. And that changes the entire voyage. And in fairness, when that happens and you get to that stage in a voyage, there's often a bit of confusion and chaos. But we're also seeing now that some people are going to school and some people are not going to school and some camps are canceled and some camps are not canceled. And some jobs are saying come in and some jobs are saying we're good till August, right? And so there's a, mm-hmm. this is actually a period, you know, what's endemic to this period. It's nobody's fault. And you're right, the, the different rules place. and regs and yeah, different yeah. place for sure. And a lot oh, of yeah. people, uh, I'd say around week seven, my, myself included, mm-hmm. friends I shared, you know, uh, FaceTime with, uh, Zoom, what, what it have, whatever mm-hmm. that was, or phone call, were feeling grief. A yes. little sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, grief, I mean, first of all, some of the people that we speak to are actually have had a death, right? Because that's been part of this mm-hmm. experience. So those people are mm-hmm. experiencing grief in a way that's almost understandable. It's the people who are still experiencing a sense of loss, but haven't necessarily lost a loved one. So we see that, you know, with any loss in our life, particularly if there's something we call multiple loss, where there's a number of things that we lose, we actually engage a bit in the grief process. Grief is about loss. That's actually technically what it's really about. And so we see ourselves engaged in that process. What are the losses, right? But we, don't, we think of it as, you know, something that makes us feel sad. But we also need to realize that it's, it's a loss at this point in time. It's something that we had. It's something maybe that we didn't, quote, cherish. And then all of a sudden that loss is uh, right in our face. And I think for a lot of people, one of the central losses that they don't identify uh, is the loss of identity. Right, right. And, and work, if you, in the situation of work, what you do defines who you are. So in the case of yes. people losing their job or being furloughed, not sure if they're going to mm-hmm. go back. That yeah. is a very, after a couple of weeks, that's a very uneasy place to be. Yeah. So job mm-hmm. loss affects our identity, but also, you know, if you've been busy running a company and now you're at home doing mm-hmm. homework in the morning, five days a week with the six-year-old, your identity has shifted completely. You are uh, you're absolutely someone else at that point in time. And, you know, this overall sense of loss 
uh, loss of relationships, maybe loss of job, but ultimately also loss of identity. And, uh, you know, that was initially a huge loss. What will I do? How will it work? Where will I be? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you went through that like the rest of us did. That's right. And Absolutely. so like, Absolutely. A, like a lot, like a, like a lot of people in some cases, Absolutely. Like, like yourself, finding a different way to do the work that you do. And right. But keeping it, you know, keeping it, grief and loss helps us, Marilyn, I'll tell you, because initially the first part of grief and loss, the process is called denial and shock, right? That's the first thing people go into. Mm -hmm. So I'm leaving my office on, on uh, March the 17th, right? Saying, well, I'm not going to be working from the office. I don't have social distance, etc." It's like, I'm not coming back to the office on April the 6th, but I literally began the process by thinking, oh, this will be about two weeks. Mm -hmm. Sadness, guilt, anger, fear. This is all part of oh. that process. So let's walk yeah. through those for just a moment. So March 17th for a lot of us, mm -hmm. this is what we did for the first couple of weeks. Now we're feeling a little bit of identity loss. Now we're yeah. feeling denial and shock. Mm -hmm. Now where did the sadness came in? Am I following that by guilt? Am I following that by anger and fear? Does it go in those orders or what happens? Well, uh, you know, they, they, they don't, because it's, because it's not the loss of, of someone close, like a death, we only reference mm -hmm. the idea of loss, but you know, the, the most important part is that, you know, you might think, uh, let's say you're feeling depressed for a period of time, right? So you mm -hmm. might think, oh no, I hope I'm not getting depressed. I hope I'm not facing depression. But the truth mm -hmm. is, is that it's important to say, well, if I back that feeling up with, um, loss and back it up with grief then I get to see it as a process. I'm not stuck in depression. Mm -hmm. This is just the period of time that I might be feeling depressed. And so, you know, we see that, you know, the feelings are fluid in, in the grieving process. They don't, they're not mm -hmm. a standstill series of feelings, but we do anticipate sadness, guilt, anger, fear. And then we also anticipate the closing stages, which are bargaining and withdrawal, where we get to the end. Mm -hmm. Uh, where we kind of withdraw and pull away a bit and then come to acceptance. And I think some people are at acceptance now. You know, they've been through the process mm -hmm. and they're actually landing in, in acceptance. And, and during the process, I just want to say this for one second, during the process, and you may have seen this as well, people are crying. I don't know if you've noticed that. Yes. That there's, there seems yes. to be a great, yeah, a great deal of crying, yeah. right? And, I, uh, I, I will, I will, I will watch something on TV and something will happen, which is a good thing. And right. I go, Oh, that's so good. Oh, and, and I'm finding myself where I would go. Oh, that's really good. I find yeah, myself whatever. more emotionally attached to yeah. that. Yeah. 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 And we're seeing that, that, you know, it, like the grieving process, you know, our feelings are sort of way up at the surface. And sometimes even a little bit unexpected. <laughs> and, uh, you know, crying is a good example for us because it's, it's one of the things that we say, well, people act the way they feel, right? And I, and I want to hit this home for people who are watching. A lot of times we pay okay. attention to a behavior rather than paying attention to the feeling underlying it, right? So you and I both know that you can cry when you're happy and you can cry when you're sad, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so it's the same behavior with a different feeling behind it. People at home after this long period of time are seeing a lot of behaviors, right? With their kids, with themselves, with their spouses. One of the things we can do about that is change the behavior, of course. Please stop doing that. 
But the other thing that we can do is try to use insight a bit and think to ourselves, you know, my son has slowly been behaving like this, right? Mm -hmm. I do need to address the behavior, but I'm wondering how he's feeling. I'm wondering what the feeling is behind the behavior. And we can never really guess what it is. Sometimes the feeling behind crying is happy, right? Sometimes the feeling Mm -hmm. is sad. Sometimes the feeling is relief. People cry when they feel relieved. So it, it's, a good, it's a good strategy after sort of eight weeks to, where the behavior might be driving a little bit batty to stop for a couple of minutes and reapproach it by saying, you know what, maybe I'll think a little bit about how the people around me are feeling instead of just looking at how they're behaving. So what do you tell people, especially parents with young ones, that they are working at their jobs and then they're doing the schooling and then it's the end of the day and they're exhausted about safe self-care. I mean, how do you, like, you, you're right. You know, we went in there like, okay, we're going to do this and this and this. And then as weeks have progressed, some of that self-care has big time fallen on the wayside. So how can we get, you know, re-energized to take care of ourselves a little bit better? What's a good start? Well, you know, I think one of the things we do is integrate self-care into the family, right? Like it's not the kind mm-hmm. of thing where you can leave for a couple of hours and go off to the gym. I mean, we'll talk about that too, but it, it's not that kind <laughs> of self-care. But, you know, I think, you know, for a lot of families, I say, you know, one hour creative, one hour academic. But, you know, in the afternoon, there's absolutely nothing wrong with identifying a period of time in the day as, okay, kids, this is self-care time. So not only are you practicing self-care, but in your family, you're teaching self-care. And so really helping the kids all identify what is their self-care plan? What do they do in terms of their own self-care? Because they also need to survive this and feel good about themselves. And so mm-hmm. I think it's, 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 you know, in the old school, we put the kids to bed when we come home from work and we grab an hour of self-care and that makes perfect sense. Yes. But they're here 24 hours a day. <laughs> they're everywhere, right? So, you know, I think, you know, I think once or twice a week, we have to teach the kids about marriage time, you know, that moms and dads have marriage mm-hmm. time and the kids have to right. participate in that. And I think we have to teach the kids that every day there's a period of self-care and we're going to figure out what you do that really looks after you and makes you feel good and then figure out what I do or my partner does and that makes us feel good. And once a day, we're all going to be busy doing that. It's self-care time. It's, the, it's privacy. It's privacy. Or yeah. for you, like maybe painting. Right. For me, it might be right. reorganizing a closet because right. that's therapy that's for right. me. I don't know how many closets I have. Left. <laughs> it's something that 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 is that you own, whether it's that's reading right. a book, am I right? Or just mm-hmm. yep. listening to a podcast or, yeah. 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 And knowing yourself well, you know, knowing yourself well. So even when I say something like self-care as a journal, there's nothing wrong with actually having journal time every day for the kids. And everybody just Very gets good. a journal and goes to their private space and we have like a half hour yep. and really building a day, you know, and then go back to work and they'll go back to playing video games or whatever they do, right? Yeah. But right. building a day but that responds great- to the fact that this is COVID-19. Right. And, you know, when they look back in their journals, which are theirs and theirs alone, years from now, they'll see how that little kid actually navigated through the pandemic time. So what can we do, Joe Rich, if we're feeling anxious about being around people again in parks, businesses, schools, some of them are experimenting with, you know, transitioning back in with the reopening of everything? Because there's so many different levels. I remember the other day I opened up my front door. 
and all the parks are closed. And I saw all these people on a very nice day walking in my neighborhood and I closed the door and went, no, nah, not today. <laughs> I'm going out today. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so Enjoy I, the walk. I went to my backyard. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I went to here. my backyard and I thought, what's happening here? And I thought, I don't yeah. really feel like talking to anybody. I don't know what it was. So please navigate this for us because I don't know what we're supposed to be feeling and doing. I mean, the first part of it is to is to really sort of stop and see where we are, which is remarkable that it, even pleasurable activities like some people love to shop. Some people love to cook and food shop. Uh, some people love to go to the gym, you know, to stop for a couple of minutes and think, you know, it's only about 10 weeks later. And those places are making me feel afraid. Like, what is that? Yeah. If somebody would have told me 10 weeks ago or you know, a couple of months ago, you know, Joe, there's going to be a point in time where you're really going to seriously think about whether you're going to go to the gym because you're going to be feeling anxious and afraid. Mm -hmm. I would have said of what, <laughs> you know, right but now, all of a sudden. So we have to sort of identify, first of all, this is a very specific dilemma. You know, this is a, a, a dilemma around being afraid to go out and take a walk on the street. So who would have ever told you in the, you know, in our lives that we'd open the door and think, you know, I think I'll just go back in the house. And so that's mm -hmm. where we are. And uh, we have to accept that that's where we are. A good, bad, or indifferent. That's, that's where we are on the map, right? And, you know, because of this, you know, we see the feeling of anxiety. Like the, the feeling of anxiety, you know, is just risen right to the surface. You know, mm -hmm. people who have never felt anxious in their life are feeling anxious on a daily basis. So probably worth our while to talk just a little bit about what kind of anxiety that is or sort of how it works. For a lot of people going back, there is a spectrum. There are people who are just really excited to go back and they feel everything is perfectly fine. And there are people who are virtually panicked about the notion that they would have to leave their house or go out. So an anxiety is what we call a spectrum disorder. There can, it can get worse and a little bit better and a little bit worse and it can get better. And it moves a little bit on a scale back and forth, but uh, we are seeing that loads of people are way over here at, at this end. Mm -hmm. But the kind of anxiety that we, we, we sort of, you know, anxiety has different families and classifications. The kind of anxiety we're looking at is really what we would call uh, anticipatory anxiety. You know, mm. what are we anticipating in the future that is negative. So it becomes a negative, intrusive thought about the future. And I think one of the feelings we generally have been lucky enough to feel is safe. And now all of a sudden in our lives, we feel unsafe. And the way I look at fear, especially anticipatory anxiety, is I use the letters of the word fear, F-E-A-R. Future events are real. And so I have a negative thought about something happening and I start to react to something in the future as if it's really taking place, as if it is really mm -hmm. taking place. And that just mm -hmm. spirals me down, right? Then I'm just mm -hmm. more and more anxious and I become anxious about being anxious, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So, you know, we, so. you know, we, so we try to come back to it. And one of the things we say is, you know, well, you know, let's talk about future thinking and how we do future thinking, right? Because we need to think about what's up as you say, that terrible phrase, new normal, but we do need to think about mm. where we're going on the map. 
And, uh, you know, one of the things I remember when we did the podcast, the first podcast, I said, you know, well, you know, one of my pieces of advice is not too much thinking, like stop thinking about the future, because you've got to just exist in the present. And I think that's still where we are, that I'm not saying that you shouldn't be thinking about the future, but you shouldn't be ruminating about Mm -hmm. the future. And uh, in anticipatory anxiety, the phrase that does that the most, and this is going to shock people, is what if. Ah, once really, once you begin, once you begin negatively, what ifing, right? You'll drown. <laughs> You'll just mm. drown in it, right? You'll just be mm-hmm. in that spot where it's well, what if this and what if this and what if this? It's like okay, that's in the future. <laughs> I don't have any special skills in terms of able to reach the future. Mm-hmm. So then I'm just going to see how I'm doing now. So the first thing we do is we realize that. You know, we have to be careful with how many what ifs we're willing to entertain in a day, right? We have to be careful not to what if this thing to a point where there's so much anxiety for us, because when we become most anxious, we become paralyzed. We become stuck, just stuck in that circle of the same thought over and over again. And people are doing this. I hear people who are talking, let's say, from porch to porch or talking on the telephone. And honestly, they're saying the same thing over and over again. They are just saying the same negative outcome over and over again. And so how do we break out of that? Yeah. Well, you know, you can't say to people, well, don't worry. Right. Yeah. You know, (laughs) don't worry. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was very helpful. Thank you, Joe. But what we do is we do think, well, you know, we are smart people. And we could engage in what's called constructive worry. So the first thing we do is that we stop thinking of what's possible, right? Because in negative terms, anything is possible, right? So nobody can guarantee us that. But we do start to think about what is plausible. So let's say uh, I'm worried about going back to work because, and I start to do what if, right? What if that woman, she's married to an ambulance driver? What if he, what if she, and I begin to make myself almost paralyzed about going back to work. But the reality is we do actually work in an open concept, right? Mm -hmm. And it is constructive worry to think, well, how are we gonna manage the physical space in the office to make sure that people aren't getting sick? That's a very constructive worry. We could actually have a plan. And so sometimes I say to people, if you can talk your anticipatory anxiety back down to constructive worry, then you might be able to do some healthy planning. So it's not your thoughts. It's the exaggeration of your thoughts. It's not the what ifs. It's the number of what ifs. Stop thinking that we can forecast the future, for example, and just place it over here with information that we have. What is plausible and what is it that we need to do with this worry? So in many ways, you know, being able to see, hey, I'm feeling anxious is probably anticipatory anxiety. I should pull it all the way back and see if I can find something interesting that is a real worry that could help me formulate a plan. The interesting thing is, is once we have the plan from our constructive worry, a lot of our anxieties are gone. Anxiety, you're absolutely right, can be defined in ourselves as it's uh, sitting right there, always worried yeah. about things all the time. As you said, the word ruminating. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see it in our children by how acting out. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what, how else can we identify this anxiety so that we can actually sit down and 
have a conversation with the family over dinner tonight and say, you know, what's your worry? Do you want us to say that and say, yeah, okay. Well, mm-hmm. okay. How do we do that? How do we have a conversation with ourselves and then the family? Tell me about that. Cause well, I'd like to okay, do that so at l- dinner sometime. Yeah. Fantastic. So we're at the table and, uh, I say, well, you know, it looks like, you know, uh, everyone's going to be going back to school or depending where you live. Or I might say, oh, it looks like summer camp is canceled. Or like I may bring something Mm. forward and Mm -hmm. I may say to the kids, you know, so what does that make you worry about? Is anybody worried about anything, right? So one of the kids Mm -hmm. might say, well, I worry that I'm not going to keep my camp friends. That might be a childhood worry, right? So then you think, okay, well, that's a constructive worry. You're a kid. It's not like you're going to drive over, right? So I'd say, okay, so what could the plan be so that we make sure that we keep in touch with your friends? That would be helping Uh kids see what constructive worry looks like. But, and this is a huge but, Marilyn, you with me? We cannot bring to the children, we can't bring to the children what I'm worried about. Ah, so if I say so that we could talk say to camp, our camp is canceled, yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure, your friend. So if we say camp is canceled. It, you know, what kind of things are you guys worried about? Our tendency as a parent to say, well, aren't you worried you're never going to see your friends again? Aren't you worried when you go ah. back next time? And it's like, what am I doing here? What am I doing? And <laughs> frankly, you know, let's say the kid's going back to school, right? Very anxiety provoking for parents, right? Kids might be very excited. That might be the most exciting news in the world for them. So we have to be really careful that we don't displace or wash our feelings over their feelings, you know, because we're so smart that we thought of what they should worry about before they thought of it. It's kind of like, okay, let's be really very, very careful here. Very, very careful. These are children, right? And if they have a worry, we want to make it a constructive worry that we can have a plan and help them with. But our own fears, our own worries belong to us. And we have to be careful not to impose that on children. Right. Ultimately, it's COVID-19, but it's still childhood, right? Like it's still childhood. It is. It is. And, you know, there is no end date. We don't know when yeah. we get to tiptoe back in with every province is very different rolling out what mm-hmm. is open what is not and then there's all these people going well there could be a second wave and so we have to yeah. we have to be very careful on how we talk to the kids about that and i think sometimes mm-hmm. saying maybe i'm wrong uh you know you get little ones that go well, when is this going to be over well we don't know yet good answer good perfect answer because sure we yet. don't know okay we really don't know and then we say, why are you asking? And they say, because I really like having mommy and daddy at home all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's a surprise. Right, right. See, out of this, I think, out of this, I know there's worry on, on so many different levels. And we do talk about the being uh, having anxiety. I was saying to a friend of mine the other day, I cannot remember the last time I was on an elevator. However, I don't know how I'm going to feel about that. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Come on. I never think about going on an elevator. But it's about, uh, you know, being kinder to yourself, tiptoeing back into reality. That's what we're all dealing with. But really listening, you're absolutely right, to the little ones because they can only take on so much information and we shouldn't put our thoughts onto them. That's such a good good idea. Now, what about what about um, partners right now? You know, they're, they're both working and I just want to wrap it up. Uh, if you find that your partner is a little bit more anxious than you are, uh, yes. how do you broach this topic with them 
as we wrap up this podcast, as we wrap up this conversation? Well, well, a great way to do it is to say, you know, I watched Marilyn Dennis today and I think they were talking about you, honey. <laughs> you know, don't be okay. Okay. To use the information that you have, but, you know, also yeah. being able to identify, don't be fearful to say to your partner, you know, I think a little bit of what just happened there was you might be feeling anxious. Don't be afraid. And to say, do you think that's true or to introduce it, but actually use the language of feeling to use the word feeling and use the word feeling anxious and also to put your own feelings forward. It's much more comfortable and less accusatory. If you say, Hey, I was feeling a bit anxious. Then I think maybe we should talk about that as well. Yeah. And we don't try to fix it. It's just this conversation that's going to be, you know, happening for the next little while. Well, gym classes, yeah. high rise offices, returning to work, live audiences, <laughs> oh, public transit, all the things that we can think about, but really, we just have to be in the moment and it will get better with each day. We just have to wait for it. There's no end date, but we'll just take the, we're all in this together. We really are. Yeah. That's yeah, for sure. Are. One last thing, Joe, before we go, what's the last thing you want to tell us before we end this conversation? Think about your feelings as you go through this part of the experience. You know, they were, they've been important all the way along. But this is the spot where you realize as you return to work or return to wherever you're going, you don't want to be acting these feelings out. You want to resolve these feelings. And one of the things that will happen for all of us is we're anticipatory. But when we get back to work and we get back to the elevator and we get back sitting next to the person next to us, there will be this relief. There will be a positive feeling, yeah. of feeling safe and feeling back where we belong. And uh, so for those that are fortunate enough to go back, that's a place where they can actually start to feel safe again. And for others to be mm -hmm. optimistic that the world will open up and something, you know, when you close a door, a new door opens and to look for that's that right. new door, enter through it and enjoy the new experiences. Thank you, Joe. Where can people find you? Uh, JoeRich.ca uh, website. And uh, if uh, there'll be a contact Joe section. And if they want, they can write in and we'll have somebody get back to them. Obviously, we're busy online, on the telephone, on Zoom. So if they want to reach out, we'll be happy to try and respond. Thank you, Joe. Marilyn Dennis does a podcast. New episodes every week. You can download or subscribe on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.